From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. So we are in the book of Genesis, and uh, we are looking at chapter 21. And um, if you'll remember yesterday, we talked about Hagar and Ishmael, um, Abraham, Sarah forced Abraham to kick out Hagar and Ishmael. They go out in the desert. They almost die. But uh, God is gracious to them and points out to her some water. So they find water and they're able to live because you need water to survive, right? In the desert, it is all a, it's all about the water. You can, I mean, it, without water, you perish pretty quickly. Um, that's just the way it is. So um, we are going to pick up the story. Now, we're kind of leaving Hagar and Ishmael for now. Uh, and we're going to go into a, a little brief story today about what happens next. Uh, it's, this, uh, it's this story about Abimelech, uh, who we met before. So um, we're going to go ahead and read uh, starting in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 22. Let's take a look. So at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me the, the country where you now reside as a foreigner, the same kindness I have shown you. And Abraham says, I swear it. So we can't, if you remember, we came across Abimelech a couple chapters ago. Um, Abraham uh, ends up going into the land where Abimelech lives. Uh, again, tells Abimelech that Sarah is not his wife, it's his sister. Um, Abimelech, you know, is going to take Sarah. Uh, and then God comes to Abimelech in a dream, if you'll remember, and says, Abimelech, what are you doing? That's Abraham's wife, it's not his sister. And Abimelech is freaked out. Now, for me, I'd have hunted down Abraham and I'd punched him in the face. But no, 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 no. Abimelech, because it came from God and knows that Abraham is a holy man uh, or at least has the blessing of God, um, basically gives Abimelech uh, all sorts of gifts and sends Abraham on his way, which I just still find to be amazing that God so much protects Abimelech or uh, Abraham. So anyway, um, now, now uh, Abimelech and Abraham are buds, I guess. I don't know. And so Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, Hey, why don't you swear to me that as you're in my country, because I know you're a, a man of God, I know you're a prophet or whatever, why don't we, uh, why don't we just kind of agree that we're going to be friends, you know, or, and that you're going to show this country that you live in kindness. I'll show you kindness. We'll kind of be at a peaceful relationship. And, and Abraham says, Yeah, I swear I'll do that. And then Abraham turns around and uh, it says, but wait a minute, I got a little issue. Let's see what that issue is. Beginning of verse 25, then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, you know, when we had this, this treaty or whatever, when we started, to, you didn't tell me. I just heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty, and Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? Uh, and so Abraham replied, well, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. 
So the place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. So this is uh, Beersheba to swear an oath here at this land. Um, it's an oath between Abimelech and uh, Abraham about a well. Now, um, we don't really, I, well, I guess we know wells pretty much. All of our water uh, is, you know, comes out of the faucet in the kitchen or in the bathroom. But if you wanted to live in that land and you did not live by a river or a place where there was water constantly, the only way that you could live would be if there was a well. Um, and so the way, you know, the way these wells came about was somebody would spend an incredible amount of energy, you know, by hand. They didn't have, they didn't have pickaxes. I mean, they didn't have shovels. They had whatever they could find, sticks or, or large pieces of sticks or, you know, what, I mean, can you imagine digging a well in your backyard and the only thing you have to dig the well is what you find sitting there on the ground? So you might find a sharp rock, you might find a stick, you know, you might find a sharp, sharp rock and a stick and you might join them together somehow with some camel hair. I mean, just imagine trying to dig a well. Actually, I know that on TV, I've never seen one of these, but there's uh, there's TV shows of people that go out into the wilderness and they try to make a living and they show how difficult it is or how easy it is. I don't know. Um, if any of you have ever seen any one of those shows, let me know. Um, I've never I've never seen one, but I'm sure there's probably one out there of how difficult it is to just dig a well, a well with the materials that you find on the ground. Um, can't be easy. So obviously Abraham and you know his tribe must spend a lot of time digging a well and it's his well you so you dig the well and then you align it with stones you know to try to keep the erosion down and that sort of thing you might you might put some mud down or something to try to keep the stones there but um, once you've dug it it is the source of life and you don't want anybody else messing with your well and so Abraham says this is his well he dug it and um, and so he makes this treaty with Abimelech that says listen this is my well uh, and I notice, what does it say? Uh, that your that one of your servants has seized my well. And so Abimelech says, no, uh, you know, I didn't know about it and all that. So for some reason, Abraham even gives uh, livestock back to Abimelech. And it's kind of like, listen, um, there may be some ambiguity as to who dug this well, but I'm going to give you all these gifts and then this is my well. And you will tell everybody it's my well. I will tell everybody my, it's my well. And this is my well. Uh, and Abimelech agrees to it. You know, it's interesting. This well uh, still exists uh, in Beersheba. Um, back in the 1800s, you know, they had uh, archaeologists trying to go to uh, to Israel and find all these different archaeological sites in the Bible. And they actually did find uh, what they believed to be Abraham's well. Um, I think I can, uh, yeah, here's a... Uh, this is from Wikipedia, so you know it's true, Abraham's well. Uh, this is what uh, one guy said. Edward Robinson's description of the site of Abraham's well. These wells are some distance apart. They're circular and stoned up with masonry. So there's actually two Abraham's wells, but they're pretty close to each other. Um, uh, the larger one is, is 12 and a half feet in diameter and 44 and a half feet, 40, 20, okay. The larger well is 12 and a half feet in diameter. Think of how much in diameter that is. And 44 and a half feet deep to the surface of the water. 
16 feet of which at the bottom is excavated in the solid rock. The other well lies 55 rods west-southwest and is 5 feet in diameter and 42 feet deep. Um, you, you ever heard of a rod? Oh my goodness. A rod is a unit of measurement that, believe it or not, is the unit of measurement that all the Western United States is based on. Um, when they built the United States, they did the Gadsden Purchase. Uh, they purchased all this property and then that was surveyed. And back then when they surveyed, they surveyed in a thing called a chain. Uh, and so you can go back to old survey notes and you'll find um, uh, a chain. A chain is 66 feet long. And so uh, if you have uh, 10 square chains of land, that's an acre, right? Oh, let me just get my calculator out. I'm pretty sure about this. So you got 10, 66 feet, right, times 660 um, is 43,560. So that's an acre. So 10 square chains is an acre. And a rod uh, is a fourth of a chain. So there's four, there's four rods in a chain. So 66, 33, six, six, 16 and a half feet is a rod. Okay, that, all right. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just, you don't see rods anymore. You don't. Even you know when I was a surveyor, you know, 20 years ago, uh, every once in a while you come across survey notes that had rods and chains as distance measurement. You had to, you had to do the calculation. Anyway, so that's a very big aside. Squirrel, sorry about that. All right, so um, uh, the other well lies 55 rods. So 55 times 16 and a half feet. Let's just see. Um, okay. That's, uh, that's a thousand feet, basically. The other well is a thousand feet away, uh, and it's five feet in diameter, and it's 42 feet deep. And the water is both pure, yeah, we'll go back. Uh, the water is both pure and sweet and in great abundance, the finest indeed we have found since leaving Sinai. Here then is the place where the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob often dwelt. Here Abraham dug perhaps this very well and journeyed from hence with Isaac to Mount Moriah to offer him up there in a sacrifice. So... Um, they did find what they believed to be Abraham's well. Um, let's look at one more. Uh, this is another guy. Uh, it was also described by Claude Regnier Condor in the late 19th century. The principal well, which is 12 feet 3 inches in diameter and 45 feet deep, lined with rings of masonry to a depth of 28 feet. A second well, 5 feet in diameter, exists about 300 yards or 1,000 feet to the west. And on the east is a third, which is dry, 23 feet deep, 9, to 9 feet 2 inches in diameter. The sides of the well are furrowed by the ropes of the water drawers, but we made one discovery which was rather disappointing, namely that the masonry is not very ancient. Fifteen courses down on the south side of the large well, there is a stone with an inscription in Arabic on a table, a tablet dated as well as I could make out 505 AH or in the 12th century. This stone must be at least as old as those in the mouth, which are furrowed with more than a hundred channels by the ropes of seven centuries of water drawers. Okay, so they found they found Jacob's well, um, and or not Jacob's wells, uh, Abraham's well. So um, I just thought you'd find that interesting. Um, I don't know if it's you know if that's interesting to you. I find it interesting because um, wells are such a Wells are, uh, you know, our water here in Vail, when we moved here back in 2007, all of the water in Vail came from wells. Did you know that? 
Um, if you go uh, various places, the one, there's construction right now going on on the west side of Colosso Cave Road, south of uh, Hacienda del Lago. It's a 160-home subdivision that they're going to put in there. And in the, in the very corner there, right up to Pantano Wash, is like one of the major well sites for Vail Water Company. And when we moved here, they, uh, they have pumps that continuously pull water out of those wells, and then they go into the big, huge uh, tanks that are by our site. Uh, and, that, and everything, when we, when we got here, all the water in Vail was, was from well water. And uh, if you talk to the Vail Water Company, uh, Manny, who's the, the manager, talked about how when they chlorinate the water, they use just very little amount of chlorine because the water is so good and pure. They only need it a little bit. Uh, and so I remember uh, when we first moved here, how sweet tasting the water was. Oh my goodness, it was like the best water. And, um, but then uh, an interesting thing happened about, well, an interesting thing happened in the, in the 70s in that uh, they decided in Southern Arizona that there wasn't enough water to, to live. There wasn't enough water for future growth. Uh, so they were going to build a dam on the Salt River. That dam uh, was never built. Uh, there's no place to really build a dam here in Southern Arizona. Uh, and so what they decided to do is to bring water from the Colorado River uh, into Phoenix and then down to Tucson. And that's the, uh, uh, you know, the major, what is that major canal? The Central Arizona Project Canal that comes down here. Uh, but when the water gets down here, so much water has evaporated that the solid, the salts and the magnesium and all that in the, in the water, the concentration increases as it gets evaporated. And so you can't drink it. So all the water came down to Tucson. You couldn't drink the water. Uh, and so what they do instead is they put the water in these big, huge basins and it percolates into the aquifer. There's a huge aquifer under Tucson. Uh, and then the Tucson Water Company pumps the water out of the aquifer. Uh, and that, and there's an actual share of that water that comes from the Colorado River that comes into Vail. Uh, we get a we get a share of water out of the Colorado River, but we can't afford to get it here. So basically, it comes down into those basins, it trickles down into the water, and then we pay. Uh, or Vail Water Company pays money to uh, City of Tucson to um, pump that water out. And then about five years ago, we connected to the Tucson Water Company. And once we did, the water didn't taste as well because Tucson water is heavily chlorinated. Um, and so it's very, very much, it's not as sweet tasting as it was. So if you really want sweet tasting water, there are still people here in the Vale area that have, they're on well water. And so if you find one of them, you know, you could go to their house and, and pump water out and get some of that beautiful, uh, fantastic tasting water. Um, that's, a, that's a huge aside, sorry about that. But just so you know, I mean, you can't live in the desert unless you have water and uh, it comes from a well. Same thing happened um, with, uh, with Abraham. That, you know, you claim the well and then that becomes the source of life. And you know, there's no pumps. You have to put something down in there like a, a, a skin, an animal skin that you've you know, put together or a bucket. You know, I don't know if they had buckets back then, but you reach down and you pull it out and, and then you pull the water out. And to, to survive, you know, you have to have, what, one or two gallons a day that you have to go to the well and pull all that water out to drink it. And it's just, uh, it must have been a hard, hard life. I've never, uh, I've never, ever had to pull water out of a well. But I even know that even in the world today, there are many, many, many places that the only place they can, the only way they can survive 
is by well water, and the only way they get the water out of the well is by manual labor. Or maybe they've got an ox that they've tied a rope to, and it goes down, and they've got a bucket, and they pull the water out you know, with ox going forward or something like that. I mean, it's you don't need much to survive, but you do need water. And, um, and so it is, it is, it is part of, of the culture that, you, you know, Abraham, he, he had to have water to survive. Um, so that is, uh, that is the story about wells uh, and uh, how important wells are. Let's see, is there anything else on that well that we want to talk about? Um, um, no, they, they swore an oath. Oh, um, you know, wells, uh, wells do point out one other thing. Wells point out that resources are short. So even here in the Vale area, um, when Vale Water Company was pulling water out of the ground to give us all water, that would slowly de- lower the water table in Vale. And, uh, and if you were on well water and you were here before Vale Water Company, and there are a lot of people here in Vale for 100 years before the Vale Water Company even started. Uh, so you dig a well, let's say you dig a well of 200 feet and there's plenty of water and all of a sudden Vail Water Company comes in and starts depleting the water table. Now you don't have water anymore, so you got to get somebody out there and dig the well deeper and all that. And what a pain. Uh, and so we really all need to play well together to make sure that we you know, manage these resources effectively. You cannot be isolated. You have to play nice with your neighbors. And so um, when the Vail Water Company went back to City of Tucson, or went to City of Tucson to get our Colorado CAP share, then the water table is starting to slowly creep up uh, back to the historic levels where they've always been. Because you know, it's there is a historic level of water. You know, it might go up and down a little bit, but you know, based upon rain in the aquifer, you know, it probably stays within ten or twenty feet, uh, you know, of historical levels. But when you pull in a town of 15,000 people trying to drink water out of that same aquifer. Now, all of a sudden, the water table is you know, substantially depleted. And that's not fair. I mean, it's not fair. So the Vail Water Company did the right thing. You know, they, they got their share, and they, they're letting that water table replenish, and that's a good thing. Uh, and all the conflicts of the earth, I say this all the time, all the conflicts of the earth are basically because of limited resources, limited water, limited land, um, those are probably the two big ones, right? If we saw that earlier, you know that the the grazing land that Abraham had with his nephew Lot was being overgrazed, and there wasn't wasn't enough land, so they had to split because there wasn't enough grazing land. It's all all the conflicts of the world come down to land or water, you know, or resources. It's and the thing is, is that God's made plenty of it. I mean, there's plenty of water, there's plenty of land, there's plenty of resources. We just have to be clever enough how to figure out how to use them. For example, I'll tell you one. Um, Everybody says in Southern Arizona that we're gonna run out of water. Well, we're gonna run out of water if we keep using water the way we use water. You know, agriculture, showers, you know, and all that sort of thing. But who says that you can't recycle the the water that you take a shower in? I mean, instead of using, I think in, in engineering college, when we were planning water systems, it was like 250 gallons a day per person is what our plan was. But you only need to drink two gallons per day. So the other 247 gallons of water are basically to water your lawn, water your plants, take showers, you know, do the dishes and all that. Um, but could, couldn't we, as, as human beings, be clever enough to figure out different ways to use the water so we use it all up, right? 
um, and you can capture water. And rain. I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff. The reason why we do it the way we do is because wells uh, and, and the CAP canal are like the cheapest way to do it. But there's other ways to do it. They're maybe a little bit more expensive, but which would raise the cost of living in Southern Arizona. But there's other ways to do it. it it's not just well water. We, we could be clever enough. Genesis 1 says, you know, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Well, that's one of the ways you subdue the earth is figure out how to, you know, how to use the resources that God's given us to the benefit so that we can all live together. Uh, uh, the doom and gloom people are always, we're going to run out of everything. We're going to run out of, uh, but, but human beings are incredibly perceptive and creative people. And we can figure out ways to do these things. Uh, and I'm sorry, I might be stepping on toes because people, uh, but I'm, you have to remember, I'm an engineer. I, my training is as a civil engineer. And, uh, you know, these are the things we talk about in engineering school is how to, how to make societies live together with enough resources. Like, and if you're going to run out of resources, how are you going to come up with the resources that a, that a city can continue to, to survive? And that's where the CAP canal came from. That's where dams came from. Uh, and then if you created a technology where you took a shower and all the water was purified and then you took a shower the next day with the same water, you know, when is that technology going to happen? And it will happen at some point, right? I mean, if, if all these places that don't have water continue to grow, then that, that's, uh, that's the only choice you have. But then on the flip side, uh, with this whole coronavirus, we're learning that people don't have to live in big cities. And so they like living out in the country and just telecommuting. So now you're going to have large generations of digital natives that aren't going to live in cities. They're going to go out and live on you know, five acres somewhere and grow their own food and have their own well water. Uh, and they're only going to go into the city if they need to catch transportation to go somewhere else. But other than that, they're just going to live isolated with their solar systems and their wells and their produce. And uh, the Internet's going to come to you off of the 30,000 satellites that Elon Musk is putting in the atmosphere. Uh, and you can live a wonderful life with all your friends, with the beauty of nature out in the middle of nowhere. So the digital natives, and in case you don't know who the digital natives are, those are the people who grew up where they're first, when they're four or five, the internet existed, right? So the internet came around in 90. So if you were born in uh, 86 or later, um, maybe let's say 90, 1990 or later, you're a digital native. And uh, you've never known a, a time where you couldn't get information at your fingertips. You know, I guess maybe up to 2000, maybe born in, may, maybe born in 2000. I don't know, but th that generation is the digital natives. Well, they're going to have it. So their life is just going to be so fantastic. It's almost, but I've had a fantastic life because when I was growing up, we used to play ball in the street and under the street light at night. So that was kind of fantastic. Every Every generation has its own wonderful thing that they can point to and say, that was just so wonderful. So the digital natives are going to say, do you remember that time when we actually had to use a computer, you know, before we had this, this, this thing that we talked into that gave us all the answers of the world, <laughs> like on Star Trek? Anyway, so um, I don't know. That's, I, I'm sorry. I just go off on these things. But there's plenty of resources to go around. God made plenty of resources to go around for us to continue to be fruitful and multiply. We shouldn't argue over them. We should figure out how to use them wisely and, and uh, we should share as much as possible. All right, let's go back. So we're just going to read this, uh, this last one. So the place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. And then verse 32, after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, 
Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So now, uh, now we have another name of God. Remember we had um, El Shaddai and El Elyon um, and Elohim and El. Um, now we have the, the name of the Lord, eternal God. Uh, and the Lord here is uh, Yahweh, Adonai. Eternal God is Olam, Olam. Uh, Adonai El Olam. That's, that's who he is. Uh, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines with Adonai El Olam. Olam for a long time. So that kind of uh, ends where we are. Uh, the next story that we're going to talk about is probably uh, the most controversial and difficult story of the whole entire Old Testament. Um, and more books and more philosophy uh, has been written about this next story, I think, than anything else in the history of mankind. It is, uh, it is difficult, but it tells us something about God that we need to know. And so I'm not going to start into that story right now because it, it really is going to require a long time to process. Uh, so I will start it tomorrow. Today's Thursday. We'll start it tomorrow. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And um, we will probably spend a couple days on it. You, you just don't want to miss uh, this discussion. It is... I would say of all of the Old Testament, you know, in the, in the area of philosophy, uh, in the area of God, in the area of theology, this is probably, uh, this is probably the most interesting and important story of the Old Testament. I mean, there's lots of them, but this one, this one's way up there. So uh, you can't understand Jesus. Uh, you can't understand man. There's pretty much everything about humankind uh, relates to this story. And so uh, if by chance you don't get a chance to watch tomorrow and you pick it up on Monday or Tuesday, you have to watch at least the next three. Oh, and we're on episode 50 today. So um, congratulations. We made it to episode 50. We did how many episodes with Matthew and now we're at episode 50. Uh, so we've been at this a long time in this coronavirus. But um but so starting at episode 51, you got to watch episodes 51, 52, and 53. If you watch anything from this Genesis Bible study, you have to watch those three. It's that important. So I'll leave you with that. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we're going to close in a prayer. Uh, gracious God, thanks for the blessings of this day. Um, thank you for the water that you provide. Uh, and the water uh, of life that you provide through Jesus. Be with us until we meet again. In his name we pray.